1: Welcome to Ask Us Anything, where popular science answers questions as tiny and personal as why it's so hard to touch our toes and as far out and ginormous as what's past the edge of the solar system. I'm Prabita Saha, PopSci's senior deputy editor.
0: And I'm Jess Bodie, multimedia editor
1: here at PopSci and producer of Ask Us Anything. Prabita, welcome to the show. Excited to chat about some vintage spacecraft and one of NASA's most legendary missions with you today.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to hear. Um, And you've probably noticed we haven't been around for a while. And that's because we've had some changes here at PopSci, but we're back. And the Ask Us Anything podcast will be around more regularly, too. We will be dishing out new episodes four times per year to sync up with and highlight our quarterly PopSci Plus theme drops online. So if you don't want to miss our episodes, make sure you're following us on whatever podcast app you like to use. And if you'd like to see the aforementioned stories, you can head on over to PopSci.com slash PopSci-Plus for more info. And we'll put that uh, that link in the episode description too. But anyway, Perbita is here to talk about a really neat story from the spring issue, which is all about, quote unquote, making it work. Um, and it has to do with one of my favorite topics, exploring deep space, Prabita. What he got for us
1: absolutely today we'll be diving into humanity's longest space mission and how it's defied all odds in terms of time technology and trajectories the question we'll be answering is how are voyagers one and two still ticking amazing
0: i can't wait to learn more okay we'll hear all about it after the break Okay, we're back. So, Perbita, maybe before we get into what the Voyagers are doing now, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the mission itself and how it all got started.
1: Yeah. So, first I want to credit our contributing writer Tatiana Woodall, because she reported most of this story. But let's go back to the summer of 1989 in Pasadena, California, where NASA was holding a high-profile rap party attended by Chuck Berry and Carl Sagan. Voyager 2 had just become the first spacecraft to fly by the final planet in the solar system, Neptune. At this point, it and Voyager 1 had already extended their missions by seven years. The twin probes, each the size of a Volkswagen Jetta and weighing close to 1,600 pounds, were launched in 1977 to gather data on Saturn, Jupiter, and the planet's moons and ring systems. But here we were in 1989, celebrating a full, unexpected tour of the solar system. Voyager 2 ultimately flew by Neptune four times, discovering four rings and six moons with its still-functional instruments. NASA planetary scientist Linda Spilker remembers the bittersweet moment, the sight of the eighth planet's azure-colored atmosphere signaling the end of the mission. Here's what she had to say, quote, we kind of thought of it as a farewell party because we'd flown by all the planets. Both of them were well past their initial lifetimes, end quote. I love it. It's so poetic and theatrical.
0: Um, but but yeah, that was in the 80s, right? So now it's, this is going to make people feel old, but 46 years after the <laughs> launch, um, and we still hear about the
1: Voyagers. So what's up with that? Right. It seems like most scientists, including Spilker, really didn't expect the mission to keep going. But after Neptune, the pair continued whizzing beyond the heliopause, which is the boundary created by the sun's forces around the planets. There they continued into interstellar space, where they've been wandering ever since. Spilker, who is now the Voyager mission project scientist, says the probe's journeys, quote, really helped shape and change the way we think about our solar system, end quote. Just think about that iconic pale blue dot image, which Voyager once snapped from 3.7 million miles away as it headed away from the sun. While most of the Voyager's instruments, including their cameras, have shut down since then, space telescopes on Earth will still catch a weak radio signal from the probes now and then, assuring us that they're still alive and also helping us determine their distance. Currently, their location is estimated at between 12 and 14 billion miles away from home, which is farther than any spacecraft has been designed to go. Even the most cutting-edge flyers today, like the James Webb Space Telescope and New Horizons probe, are destined to wander a few million or billion miles from their place of origin. So what's the secret to the Voyager mission's survival? It's most likely the spacecraft's straightforward, redundant technology— By today's standards, each machine's three separate computer systems are pretty primitive. But that simplicity, as well as their construction from the best available materials at the time, has played a large part in allowing the twins to rove on and on.
0: Okay, cool. So basically, like, being old helped them stay alive (laughs) longer. Uh, Do you have maybe an example of
1: how that was the case? Sure. Sure. So let's look at the Viking computer command system, which was eventually turned into the Voyager computer command system. Because software capabilities were so limited in the 1970s, and the probes would need to communicate over enormous distances, NASA engineers kept the code pretty light. The memory was capped at about 70 kilobytes, so the teams would upload new programs to the spacecraft in flight, which also gave them the capability to adapt operations as the Voyager's planet hopped. So they could
0: kind of send it a software update to have it keep collecting images and other data when it reached
1: a new destination, for instance? Right, yeah. Even though the mission was drawn around getting to Saturn and Jupiter, It was redrawn over and over as the probes kept pushing past their potential. This flexibility of the operations allowed engineers to turn the Voyagers into scientific chameleons, as Tatiana Woodall described it. I love that. (laughs) Those were her words, so they're they're nice words. Mm -hmm. Adapting to one new objective after another. Plus, each of the three computer command systems had their own backups. So the risk of the entire spacecraft failing was super slim. And while we still aren't installing old Viking computers in modern-day spacecraft, a lot of the strategies used to build and operate the Voyagers have proven useful in aeronautics now. The optical systems and multiple failsafe systems, for example, they've been translated to other long-term space missions, like the Saturn Cassini space probe and the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter.
0: That's amazing. I knew the voyages were cool because they were old and they've lasted a long time and they're really far away, but I didn't really realize they had such an influence on other more modern projects. So that's really neat. But okay, we've talked about the beginnings of Voyager and where they've gone and where they are now, but what about the future? (laughs) What, What can we expect going forward?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, that's what most people care about these days. So The Voyagers are powered by nuclear thermoelectric generators. Uh, They weigh about 83 pounds each and run off an isotope called plutonium-238. Once that isotope stops shedding heat, the spacecraft's remaining systems will shut down, and all transmissions, including the soft radio pings we get, will cease. So that's expected to happen maybe in the next two or three years, though who knows? Maybe the mission will defy our expectations again. But even if we stop hearing from the Voyagers, it's unlikely they will crash into anything or even be destroyed in the cosmic void. They'll drift through the Milky Way eternally, alone and together in humanity's most spectacular odyssey. What a
0: beautiful way to put it. Sad, sad, but beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love thinking about this stuff, even though it can be kind of hard sometimes to wrap my brain around it, but you know, like what if some intelligent life out there finds the Voyagers? What will they think? And I guess, (laughs) I guess they have that golden record thing with, um, the samples of songs and
1: languages from earth on it, right? Yes. Uh, it's a shame though, that Beyonce didn't exist at the time it was (laughs) recorded. aliens are going to be so confused if they ever
0: come to earth. (laughs) Yeah. They will not, they will not understand. Um, okay, thanks, Purbita. Got a question for the editors at Popular Science? Send an email to ask at popci.com. Ask Us Anything is produced by the editors of Popular Science. This episode was written and reported by Purbita Saha, based on a written PopSci Plus story by Tatiana Woodall. Editing and audio engineering is done by me, Jess Bodie. Big thanks to Billy Cadden for writing our theme song and to Katie Beloff for creating our logo. If you like our show, consider rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. It helps us out a lot. For more PopSci audio content, be sure to check out our sibling podcast, The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. Thanks for listening.